They said that it could not be done. You can't sit here for three hours and talk about the southeast of the United States. We're proving them wrong. Hello, I'm John Rawl, and this is y'all. And it is great to be back with you here on this middle-of-the-week edition of the show Everything Southern. That's right. It covers news, a little politics, a little entertainment news. We've got sports news. We've got food and a lot of conversation and opinion and we want to hear from you we want your opinion on the show covering everything dixie our email address is mail m-a-i-l mail at y'all.com our website is y'all.com and of course you can connect to us with a telephone call or a text to 803-816-1170. It is just so darn easy to be a part of the show covering everything Southern. And on today's Y'all Show, we've got some Democratic-related stories to get our news going, including the results from Virginia, where they had a big primary day on Tuesday. I'll let you know how that worked out. A blast from the past? It could be in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Also, we'll tell you about how Southwest Airlines is going back to the capital city of the great state of Mississippi after a seven-year absence. Southwest Airlines, you can fly right into Jackson MS and check out the sights and sounds of central Mississippi if you'd like. I'll have some business info coming from the capital of Mississippi here on today's Y'all Show. Sad news out of Beaufort, South Carolina, as a U.S. Marine Corps recruit dies during the crucible, the final round of training there at Paris Island. And we'll have some information on that. In Alabama, a Methodist church has been kicked out of being a Methodist church, one of the oldest Methodist churches in the entire heart of Dixie. I'll explain and tell you what's going on in Hazel Green, Alabama, on this Y'all Show Wednesday edition. Plus, for all you who like to look up to the sky, on Thursday it's going to be a great day to do that as you're going to have what's called a ring of fire. Where's Johnny Cash when you need him? A ring of fire will appear on Thursday. I'll tell you how you can go and see that if you're able to. Also, if you're a Tennessee and you can fish for free this weekend, how about that? And also, if you're a, a Memphian in Tennessee, a fan company there is going to be giving away Sealand fans. What is that all about? How about a story from South Carolina? A woman has copied the Bible by hand. I'll share that with you. All right here, plus Morgan Freeman news. God has spoken. God has given a million dollars alongside a lady that I think might just be his sweetheart. Morgan Freeman and this supposed sweetheart have given a million dollars to the University of Mississippi. I'll explain here as we go through our headlines on today's Y'all show. We also have lots of sports information this first hour to get to. We'll update you on the NBA playoffs. A little scene from the weekend at the Philadelphia Phillies ballpark. A scary scene. And what's even scarier for the Phils, they're dropping down in the standings. In fact, the Atlanta Braves went into Philly on Tuesday and got a big win. I'll explain here in our standings of Major League Baseball in this first hour. 
Then we'll have Jonathan Lifite drop by before the hour is up and give us the ACC report. It hits 247sports.com as Jonathan's website, and we'll let you know about the Florida State Seminoles and their quest for a national title at the Women's College World Series. That's the softball event going on right now in Oklahoma City. And the Knowles with a big game one victory, and they could clinch the thing today. So we'll get Jonathan's take on softball, plus an ACC team with a dramatic walk-off win in Columbia, South Carolina on Tuesday. And now the Virginia Cavaliers advance to the College Baseball Super Regionals this weekend. We'll get the full ACC report on Super Regionals from Jonathan Lifite and also some football discussion from him. It looks like there's going to be a real solid push to expand the college football playoff to at least eight and likely 12 teams. And I'll get Jonathan of 24-7 Sports to weigh in on what he thinks as we inch our way closer to the start of the 2021 season. And, of course, as I just said, the start, it looks like, of a expanded college football playoff. All that conversation with Jonathan Lifite, ACC Insider, Later this hour, Kobe Bennett's going to be filing a Southern accent on culture before the hour is up here on the Y'all Show. And quickly to tell you what's going to be happening in the rest of the show today, hour two, we'll have a Southern business report, some news and notes about unemployment that we'll be sharing with you there. Also, speaking of business, we're going to be hearing from the executive vice president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Neil Bradley has that position, and he was recently interviewed by Alexis Christophorus. She is with Yahoo Finance, and Alexis and Neil Bradley got together and talked about how the pandemic has exacerbated the worker shortage in the country right now, and we'll get some thoughts from Neil Bradley, the executive vice president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce as part of our business spotlight in hour number two. We'll also have an author spotlight in hour number two, and we'll give you the latest trends and what's selling in book world. We'll also have Nora Roberts. She's got the number one best-selling book right now, and we've got an audio clip from author Nora Roberts, a Maryland native that will be coming your way in hour number two of today's Y'all Show, Hour 3. Oh, you better stick around. We're going to go from book talk and business talk in Hour 2 to talking about music in Hour 3. Did you realize here over the weekend we're going to have the first of two this summer of what's called Record Store Day? And we're going to be putting vinyl in the spotlight. And we'll tell you about some of the hot albums that will be made available, either a re-release or perhaps first time ever on vinyl. And that will be part of our Hour 3 coverage of Record Store Day 2021. That plus sports and news headlines. It's all right here on the show, all about the southeast of the United States. Glad to have you aboard. John Rawl, the general of all things Southern with you. And I am a certified CSA, certified Southern American. And to all my fellow Southern Americans, great to have you aboard. Let's go in and look at what's going on across the southeast today. And out of Richmond, Virginia, Terry McAuliffe is now your Democratic nominee for governor. As Virginia does it a little bit different, they have governors only serve four-year terms. And so the current governor, Ralph Northam, is going to be exiting here pretty soon. And there will be a new governor in 2022 and Terry McAuliffe, who has been a longtime fixture in Democratic politics, a guy that was rumored to be perhaps Hillary Clinton's running mate back in 2016. He and Clinton go way back. And now 
Terry McAuliffe, who at one time had been governor of Virginia, he gets a second chance to be governor as he'll be in the general election in a couple of months against the Republican nominee. Terry McAuliffe is picked after the primary on Tuesday to be Virginians' Democratic nominee in the race for governor as he just jumped into the race for governor back in December after deciding back in 2019 to run for president, or he decided not to run for president. A lot of people thought he was going to be a big contender for president, but he decided not to. He's now 64 years old, Terry McAuliffe, and he's going to get a chance to be governor again. I assume the laws of the Commonwealth of Virginia allow the people there to run again, but not in successive terms. So that's why he's in the running, and he'll have a chance to go against the Republican nominee, who is a business guy who's never had elected office before, whenever these two face off in a couple of months to become the next governor of Virginia. But Terry McAuliffe is the Democratic nominee after his big win in Richmond, and he had some really good opponents going up against him, a variety of ages and races and more. And this guy, I guess, is because of his proven background, a likable guy, a guy that's been in the national spotlight for a long time, and he ends up becoming the nominee of that party and will go against against the Republican businessman in just a few months. That the news out of Virginia on Tuesday in Mississippi. They had municipal elections around the state, and it looks like Tupelo may be the biggest story coming out of Mississippi on Tuesday as they've elected a Republican to become the city mayor. And that's the first time a Republican has been mayor in Tupelo in a long, long time. So that's the the biggest story from Mississippi on Election Day 2021, at least the summertime municipal elections going on in the Magnolia State. Now to Washington, D.C., and civil rights leaders are not able to budge Joe Manchin, perhaps the most powerful man in Washington. Look out. Joe Biden, look out, Mitch McConnell. Joe Manchin, it looks like, is the person that really controls things because of how tight the U.S. Senate is right now. But the Republican, the Democrat from a very Republican state, West Virginia, says that he doesn't think anybody changed positions this week when some people were calling on him to go along with this Senate bill, or it's actually, it's it's before the Senate, it's called H.R. 1, And it's the election reform bill, essentially nationalizing elections. And Joe Manchin has been against this thing. And civil rights leaders have gone to him and begged him to go for this thing. And right now he's standing firm in opposition to H.R. 1. And that a little bit of a change here to see him siding with most of the Democrats on keeping this thing from becoming a reality, Joe Manchin, again, with a lot of power in Washington, D.C. Now, his fellow West Virginia senator is Senator Capito, and Senator Shelley Capito on Tuesday reacted to the White House breaking off bipartisan infrastructure bill negotiations with her, as Joe Biden had been calling the senator, the I think she is the junior senator from the Mountain State, And she said the president broke off negotiations in a five-minute phone call, which left her feeling extremely disappointed. As Capito said, we offered the president basically what he asked us to do the first time we met with him, which was a trillion dollars over eight years, including baseline spending, and that wouldn't include a tax increase 
And that was our red line, according to the senator from West Virginia. But she says the president broke off this opportunity and he missed an opportunity to get at least 20 Republican support in an infrastructure bill and the talks going on to make that bill become a reality. And that happened in a phone call Tuesday. Coming from Washington, D.C., speaking of the president, he had a goal of July 4th to get the country vaccinated. And it looks like that goal is going to not be met. Impeach him! Impeach him now, I say. Yeah, President Biden for several months now has set this goal of July 4th to have at least 70% of the country vaccinated, at least partially vaccinated by the nation's birthday. And now the White House launching a month-long blitz to combat vaccine hesitancy and a lack of urgency to get shots. And a lot of these are, are the problem they've got is in the American South right here, as a lot of people are afraid to get the vaccine. And so the administration has this goal that they are not sure they're going to be able to get. About 15.5 million unvaccinated adults need to receive at least one dose in the next four weeks if Biden is going to meet his goal of having 70% of the country vaccinated before July 4th. But the pace of new vaccinations in the U.S. has dropped to below 400,000 people per day, and that's down from nearly a 2 million day per month or 2 million day per vaccination two months ago so a lot of people now have vaccine fatigue at a briefing on tuesday dr anthony fauci the nation's top infectious disease expert told reporters that he still hopes the goal will be met and quote if we don't we're going to continue to keep pushing it looks like we're not going to reach that goal again if this would have been a guy before joe biden I think uh, people would have been in the streets protesting, likely. But that's not happening now. And and so, yes, if you are worried and you're concerned about the virus, it's very easy for you to get a vaccine and get the shot. In fact, there's some places now you can just walk in, no appointment needed. I think most places, a lot of the national retailers, a lot of the national pharmacies, the CVSs and Walgreens of the world, have it really, really simple. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to have an appointment. They've got people waiting to give you these vaccines. And so, yes, the time has come if you are going to do that. But who who am I and who is the government, I guess, to tell you or force you to get a vaccine? That's part of the dilemma here in the South is so many people treasure their, I guess, independence and their American spirit to say, Dadgummit, I don't need the government telling me i got to get something shot into my bloodstream. And therefore, they're not getting it done. How about Southwest Airlines? After a seven-year absence, you can now fly to the Jackson, Mississippi, Medgar Wiley Evers International Airport. I'm a little surprised Southwest was able to pull out of there in the first place seven years ago. I've flown Southwest from Nash, Vegas, to Jackson, Mississippi before. Lovely little flight. In fact, much better than driving. It's a rough drive from, let's say, Middle Tennessee to Central Mississippi, a long, winding road no matter which route you take. And so it was very, very lovely to fly on Southwest. And I still remember my flight, and this was 25 years ago I flew the Southwest flight to Jackson, Mississippi. 
because that was the flight the flight attendant i don't think they could do this these days we're so scared but because southwest especially when it was first getting going had some wise guy and wise gal flight attendants the lady got above on the loudspeaker and told everybody flying high if you would like to go smoking today on our flight there is a smoking section out on the wing kind of dumb i know but these days i don't even think you could say that without having some kind of fine put upon you but now you can fly into jackson mississippi to the medgar evers airport as southwest has made its return you can go to their website and check out fares i know southwest has added a bunch of routes here this summer they've added myrtle beach south carolina is a flying destination and a bunch of other routes we announced this some time ago here on the show but go to their website and check out where you can go and just like jackson ms perhaps there's a revival of an old flight an old destination that you can now go to and enjoy the friendly skies of southwest airline sad news coming from paris island a recruit has died during what's called the crucible that's the final round of training for the united states marine corps and it tests the physical mental and moral training that the marine recruit has endured and sadly a recruit dying as it's been announced that Private First Class Dalton Beals died over the weekend in an incident that's now under investigation. The Marines said the crucible exercise allows recruits a limited amount of food and sleep. And this young man going through the training there, and I know this is not the first time a Marine has either died or had serious bodily harm done by the crucible exercise, but it's a, a very, very tough thing. A nine-mile hike is included on this, and they have to go all the way to the Iwo Jima flag-raising statue to finish the training of the Crucible. And upon completing the challenge, recruits are handed the eagle globe and anchors, symbolizing the completion of their big journey there over nine miles and the and staying out. And just marine Marines and Marines of yesteryear, you have a very, very difficult training, and you should be very proud of what you've gone through to become a United States Marine. Unfortunately, just like all branches of service, sometimes trainees end up dying, and that's the case here for this young Marine, Private First Class Dalton Beals, dying at Paris Island, going through training there of the 54-hour exercises that they call the Crucible and I'm trying to get you a hometown of Dalton Beals. I saw a photo put out of him and his family, I guess, before he entered Marine Corps training. But just a, looks like a great guy and a nice family. Unfortunately, this family dealing with a tragic loss. He was from New Jersey, the young man dying in Marine Corps training. Other headlines coming in here on this Southern show. A man from Alabama says he stole a vehicle. This is a pretty good excuse. We might just have to let him off on this one. Man from Alabama stealing a vehicle because God told him to do it. And, uh, yeah, despite the arrest, he promises to steal a police car upon release. What? This guy, God's telling him to do all this, including stealing a police car? Yeah. What a knucklehead. Jeffrey McCants is the name of this person. And, yeah, he's accused of stealing a vehicle from a fire station. And he's also 
announced his candidacy for mayor, flirted with a reporter, and admitted to stealing this vehicle all because God told him. And by the way, he announced his candidacy for Mobile mayor, flirted with a reporter, and then stole a vehicle all within a minute. Pretty busy guy there, Jeffrey McCants. He's charged with stealing a marked Pritchard Fire Rescue vehicle. And then, as he said on TV, he's running for mayor of Mobile, Alabama, baby. I may have some video. Hopefully this is not uh, too risque playing this here. Let's see if it plays. Eh, I'm not sure we're going to get this to play properly or not. But, uh, yeah, busy, busy day. Here we go. All right, see, there he is. he's coming out in handcuffs with the p- police escorting him along the way, but he's he's announcing it. So if he's not charged with a felony here, when I think he just might be, he could be eligible when you go to the polls there, Mobile voters. <laughs> All right, another story before we take a break. In the north end of Alabama, right on the Tennessee state line, that is where you'll find State Line Methodist Church. This is just north of Huntsville, between Huntsville and Fayetteville, Tennessee, the hazel green area of Alabama. And State Line Methodist Church has now been shut down by the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church. And they've shut down several churches. I didn't realize the Methodist Church allows I guess the leadership, it's hierarchy to close churches. But there have been about six churches shut down here in the last couple of days in the state of Alabama, and part of the reason was dwindling attendance as this church had really suffered from the pandemic, losing a lot of people on Sunday services. And then we've also found out that a church called Curry in central Alabama shut down, McKinley also in central Alabama, and in southeast Alabama, Rocky Mount Methodist Church being shut down. But they held a vote and decided in the state of Alabama to shut down six churches from the Methodist Church. These churches are likely going to continue. They just won't be official United Methodist Churches. The North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church has 650 churches and 122,000 members. But just like everywhere in the South, Membership is really suffering right now with the pandemic reaching. And then, frankly, the Methodist Church nationwide has had a civil war going on over the last couple of years, primarily caused by the homosexual questions within the church, causing some to break apart. And the Methodist churches around are deciding which side they want to go through or go to, whether they want to endorse LGBTQ rights within the church, or if they want to break away from that and do their own thing, that's a common thing going on right now, too. But yes, this historic church in Hazel Green, one of the first Methodist churches opened in the state of Alabama, now is no longer officiated or officially aligned with the Methodist church. And this church goes back to 1808 when it was formed there in North Alabama. So, yep, some religious news to pass along to you here on the y'all show you know what we got to talk about the religion of college football and we're going to do that with jonathan lifehite a little bit later in today's y'all show up next though a quick look at the nba playoffs and some major league baseball news it's our southern sports update on this wednesday stick around for more of the fun it's y'all
back on y'all we got our acc spotlight in the next segment jonathan life he's with 24 7 sports and the acc insider for that cbs sports digital network and he'll have a conversation with us about acc softball acc baseball the florida state seminoles picking up a big win on tuesday in oklahoma city as they're in contention for a national championship downing oklahoma in okc that was a tough tough ask and the Knowles with a big win. And then you had some drama also on the baseball diamond of the ACC world on Tuesday. How about the Virginia Cavaliers picking up a win over ODU in the Columbia, South Carolina regional. And now Virginia gets to stick around Columbia for a couple of days because they're going to have a super regional that they're going to host in South Carolina this weekend and jonathan's going to talk about that plus a little college football conversation with jonathan when we get to our acc spotlight but let's bring you up to speed of what's going on in the association on tuesday the philadelphia 76ers were able to knot up their series with the atlanta hawks as the sixers with a 118 102 win a nice fourth quarter there for the 76ers and now this series moves south to atlanta Tied at one apiece. Also on Tuesday, the Utah Jazz. A little bit surprising that they had a close game to me since this was at home. But the Jazz there in Utah with the 112-109 victory over the Clips. And now they take a 1-0 series lead in that Western Conference semifinal going on in Utah and in Los Angeles as well. What's on the NBA's plan for today as the playoffs continue Just one playoff game going on today. It's the Nuggets and the Phoenix Suns. It'll be game two, and right now Phoenix has the 1-0 series lead in this one. Big news for Denver's center on Tuesday. It was announced he is your NBA MVP, the 7-foot-ish. I don't know his exact height, but he wins the NBA MVP honor. What a great feat there for the Denver Nuggets to have that. But right now, they'll trade that in for a series win against the Suns in the Western Conference semifinals going on. That tips off at nine at 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central on TNT if you want to tune in and see a little NBA action on this Wednesday. Hey, did you see this weird story from the weekend in Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia the darn screen behind home plate came crashing down, and it was pretty scary. It shut down play for roughly 20 minutes, and the Phils and the Nationals were playing that day. And now, you know, Major League Baseball, this is something that was a big story prior to the pandemic where the teams of the MLB were going to come in 2020, and they all would have netting alongside home plate all the way down the baselines to protect people remember there was a scary scene a few years ago i think a youngster got hit and may have even died in chicago i think 
But one of the major league ballparks had a real ugly scene of a player or fan getting hit by a foul ball. And so Major League Baseball, to stem injuries and to avoid more lawsuits, frankly, started having netting put up in all the ballparks. And it looks like there in Philly, their netting was not put up. They must have run out of nails or something as this malfunction causing a 20-minute delay at the home ballpark of the Philadelphia Phillies when this safety net came crashing down. And pretty weird thing to see. In fact, some people got covered up by the netting. I saw where a camera guy had to kind of dodge and duck to get out of the play. And, uh, yeah, just a just a weird scene there that you don't see every day in baseball. Yet you've seen it all, but this one people had not quite seen before as right there in the top of the eighth inning, the net surrounding the field collapsed at the Phillies-Nats game, able to get the ball game back underway but yeah just a just a fun thing to see but luckily no injuries to report now how about the Phils and their nl east standings are is it crashing down on them kind of like their own netting well right now they find themselves trailing both the new york mets who are in the clubhouse if you will atop the nl east standings with the 29 and 24 mark the mets leading the nl east atlanta is a perfect 500 the Braves sitting at 29 and 29 and two and a half back of the Mets in the NL East. Phils are right there at 28 and 31. The Marlins at 26 and 34. The Nats, some people think they were the best team in this division. The Nats struggling right now. They're 24 and 33. NL Central, it is a close one there. And right now, essentially, you've got a tie between Milwaukee, Chicago, and the St. Louis Cardinals, all within roughly three games of each other. The Cincinnati Reds have been on a pretty good winning streak. They did lose Tuesday, but they'd been winning a lot. In fact, they swept the Cardinals this past weekend, and the Reds are 28-30, and 30, and then you've got the poor old Pittsburgh Pirates sitting in the bottom of the NL Central at 23-36. and 36. NL West, it is a really, really fun kind of event going on there in california between the giants padres and and the la dodgers all three teams within three games of each other and a really competitive race there in the nl west colorado and arizona pulling up the bottom of the west standings when you skip over and you find out what's going on in the american league the tampa bay rays continue to impress they currently are on top of the al east 39 and 23 are what the Tampa Bay Rays record is, and that's just good enough to be ahead of the Red Sox. The Yankees are six and a half back of the Rays right now. The Yanks at 32 and 29. Blue Jays, they have a winning record, but that's pretty far down in the standings. You find the Toronto Blue Jays, also known as the Dunedin and Buffalo Blue Jays. They are 20, 30 and 28, seven games back of Tampa. Then you've got Baltimore. And to their credit, they've been winning. They're actually on a two-game winning streak, the Orioles, after losing, I think, at least 13 games last week in a row. The O's, 22-38. and 38. In the AL Central, best team, I think, in all of baseball could be the Chicago White Sox. The Sox with a 37-23 and 23 record, and that is four games better than the Cleveland Indians. The Royals find themselves stuck in the middle of the AL Central standings. Detroit and Minnesota pulling up the rear. And then when you skip over and look at the AL West, the Oakland A's and Astros are fighting neck and neck for the division lead. The A's right now with a 36-26 and 26 record. The Astros 34-26 and 26 and one game back. 
Seattle is 30 and 32, and then the Angels and Rangers are in the rear of the AL West standings right now. To Nashville, and Julio Jones has said, No thanks, A.J. Brown. You can keep number 11. I'll take number two. So we're not sure if, if this guy, Julio, is going to be the number one receiver as he's billed to be in some people's eyes, but he's the number two guy for sure on the Titans roster as he's taken over that number. And I am not sure who had number two, if anybody had it in 2020, but right now you've got number two in Titan blue. It's Julio Jones suiting up alongside number 11, A.J. Brown, number 22 in the backfield, Derrick Henry, and right there at number 17, but number one in your heart, Ryan Tannehill, (laughs) the quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. And that is a quick look at what's going on in sports here on this Wednesday. But we're not done talking sports. Hang on when we come back. Jonathan Lifehite will be on with us. We'll get his take on all things ACC. We've got some softball news and baseball news from the Atlantic Coast Conference and the college football playoff. Is it going to expand? Jonathan's got the answer. You know he does. And we'll get that answer when the Y'all Show comes right back. It's y'all talk with a southern accent. John Rawl with a little FSU music for you as the Knowles with a big win in Oklahoma City on Tuesday. I'll fill you in on what we're talking about there. This is the show covering everything southern. And we've got Jonathan Leifheit of 247sports.com to get us through this ACC report here on a Wednesday y'all program. And Jonathan... How about those Seminoles? Hello, stand by. Not here. All right, uh, let's see what we're pushing buttons here. Not sure where I have gone wrong here. Hello, are you there? All right, we'll go to plan B. I don't have a plan B, actually. Jonathan, let's see here. Are you there? No, you're not. 
You're not there either, are you? All right. Uh, technical problems, Jonathan. We will just have to catch up with you again next week. Sorry about that. We're trying to get fancy here, and we have failed miserably. My apologies. Okay, let's talk about FSU, if you don't mind, and what they did at the Softball World Series on on Tuesday as they played the team that was the local favorite, the local fan favorite for sure, and that was the Oklahoma Sooners. And FSU picked up a big win in the Women's Softball Series in Game 1, and now they have a chance to close it out with a natty here on this Wednesday. So a big win. FSU, remember, just like Oklahoma, had lost their first game of the World Series when it got underway on Thursday of last week. And the Knowles rebounding in the Women's College World Series with a big win. And now they advance to have that opportunity to take a championship back to Tallahassee and represent the ACC rather well as it was a big win. 8-4 in the opening game of the Women's College World Series. 8-4 FSU going past number one seed Oklahoma. And it was a very good day for Kaylee Mudge and also Kaylee Harding. Both are FSU freshmen and they were the stars of this big win. FSU currently is 49-11-1. And with a victory Wednesday, they'll win the best of three series to win their second NCAA title in four years. How about that? A dynasty, perhaps, if they can get the victory in Oklahoma City against Oklahoma here on this Wednesday. To ACC baseball, Virginia is among two teams that will be playing in the Super Regionals of college baseball. Actually, let me correct that. you got Notre Dame also. So it's uh, three. Is it three out of the 16 teams or ACC representatives? Notre Dame, NC State. And after what happened on Tuesday in Columbia, fireworks in the extra innings at Founders Park as Virginia got a big win for Brian O'Connor, the skipper of the Cavaliers, with a walk-off win over Old Dominion. Old Dominion was the number one seed in the Columbia, South Carolina Regional. And UVA, after this game, should have been played on Sunday, pushed back to Monday, then because of rain, pushed back to early on Tuesday in Columbia. And Virginia with the dramatic walk-off win, home run, and I think the bottom of the 10th inning to get the victory. And now Virginia moves on to the Super Regional. They'll be taking on Dallas Baptist. After the 4-3 victory on Tuesday, DBU now is the opponent for Virginia. And it was a very, very exciting game and a big win for the Cavaliers of the ACC to now punch their ticket back. This is a program kind of like Florida State in softball that has won a national championship in recent years, and they get the chance to do that as they'll have a chance to get back and Hold that trophy high if they can make their way to Omaha and they'll have that opportunity after this Super Regional in Columbia. Now, I was hoping to talk to Jonathan Leifite about this, and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out that uh, he and I didn't have the opportunity to talk about this since we had some technical problems. But Virginia's not getting a chance to host the Super Regional at home. They're having to stay in Columbia, South Carolina this week. I think part of this is because of COVID and some of the weird things that have happened there. But, yeah, they're having to stick around Columbia after winning that regional against Old Dominion Tuesday. They don't have a game now until Saturday. So they're going to spend Tuesday night, 
Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday, four nights without any games going on in Columbia, which is a great place to be. I think I'm heading there this weekend. Note to everybody in Richland County. And so I didn't know exactly why this had to be the way that they had to not have a chance to go home. They were the number three seed when it was announced they would be going to the Old Dominion Regional, but Old Dominion did not host it. It was hosted by the number two seed, South Carolina. So Virginia wins that regional as the number three seed, and then they're paired with the TCU Regional. Well, well, Dallas Baptist won that regional, and they were a number three seed. So you got two three seeds going against each other, and I thought that either DBU or UVA would be hosting this thing, but no, for this Super Regional, it's going to stay in Columbia where the Gamecock season is over with, and you're going to have a pretty empty ballpark if I had to predict, unless DBU is going to come over from the Metroplex with a couple hundred thousand fans and say, go Patriots there in Gamecock country. Also, Benedict Tiger country right around the corner from the ballpark and Columbia College Koala country. Don't want to leave out the koalas of the all-female Columbia College there in Columbia. I think I've, I think I got them all covered. Yes, they're in Columbia, South Carolina, all your colleges. But, yes, uh, it is, it's going to be a, a really weird thing to see these two teams who are a long way from both of their homes playing in a Super Regional. But what a great win for Virginia as they try to get back to Omaha, and they'll be taking on Cinderella Dallas Baptist starting Saturday in the Super regionals, but you have they are in it. You got NC State. What an amazing job Elliot Avent's ball club did going out to Ruston and winning the Ruston regional. Notre Dame, they are in the super regionals. They've got to go to Stark Vegas. Talk about a tough assignment. They will be going to Stark Vegas to take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs and a very good matchup of Notre Dame who I think I, I think my memory is correct on this. Were your regular season ACC champions? Duke won the conference championship in Charlotte, but ACC baseball. I know it may not have what uh, SEC's got about five teams. They've got three in the ACC that are it looks at least as far as I can tell marching toward Omaha, and you just might have all three win their respective series and. We'll find out if the ACC's baseball supremacy is just that. I say that in jest because most SEC homers believe they have by far the greatest conference in college baseball. If you actually look at who's won the championship over the last 10 years, it it probably SEC's had a little bit more than everybody else, but it's been nip and tuck with some other conferences. I mean, Oregon State is arguably one of the best college baseball teams, and they're from the Pac-12 for goodness sakes. Virginia's won the national championship here recently. I'm trying to think of anybody. UCLA has won it in recent years. So you've got a a little bit of a collection. It's just not your big, heavy southern schools, mostly from the ACC, to get their national championship trophy. But the SEC's missed out on some opportunities. Arkansas easily should have won the College World Series a couple of years ago, and they dropped a foul ball and they, if they'd have caught that, they would have won the Natty. But they did not. And in the end, I think that was the year, one of the years Oregon State won a national championship. And so, but we're seeing 
ACC baseball on display, and we'll find out here this weekend if they can go to places like Bomb Stadium and Fayetteville, Arkansas, and come away with a big win as that's NC State's challenge. They go to Ruston, win that regional. Their reward is to go to take on the number one team in all of college baseball, and that would be NC State here. Uh, They've got to take on now the Arkansas Razorbacks, but the Wolfpack representing the conference, and also you've got the the uh, Virginia representing the conference and Notre Dame. So three of your 15 ACC schools now in the college football, uh, college baseball super regional action. Then one thing also I was going to talk to Jonathan about, didn't have a chance to due to our phone issue, college football playoff. The talk is getting louder and louder to expand the college football playoff from four to possibly eight. Some people are saying 12 is the magic number. I don't want to weigh in since I don't have anybody to bounce stuff off, but I personally don't want to see this happen. I think four is just fine. we got four teams in the college football playoff, but you know what? In the end, money is probably going to be the ultimate winner, and because of money, we're going to likely see this college football playoff expand to likely 12 teams. But when you get to 12, there's going to be some people say, oh, it's, it's got to be 16. We've we got to move it on up to 16 then some might say, well, let's just make it 32. Why not let everybody in? Just give everybody a trophy. That's that's what it's going to maybe get to. So that is something that maybe perhaps next week when Jonathan's back on here successfully and no phone problem, we can get his take on the college football playoff. I know he can't wait to talk about that. When we come back on y'all, we're going to wrap this hour up, and we're going to do it with a report from Kobe Bennett. It's a southern accent on culture. That's coming up next here on Talk with a Southern Accent. Accent. Here's an accent on the South from Yaw.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Twelve animal rescuers raided a flea-infested home in Greenbrier, Arkansas, last Thursday, June 3rd, in order to liberate approximately 100 cats and one dog. What is now considered the largest cat hoarding case in Arkansas history. Biscuits Legacy Rescue Group founder Maggie Bradley was contacted by fellow rescue advocates at NationalKitty.com on May 29th and quickly formulated a plan with the Humane Society of the Delta. The Humane Society's Gloria Higginbotham provided shelter for the liberated cats. When I made this call, they put a plan into action, Bradley told ABC7. They actually cleared out their cat room of healthy cats and transported most of them out and are setting up their cat room as a hospital ward. Bradley reported that the person responsible for the cat hoarding was elderly. Once the cats and the singular dog, whose name is Captain Kirk, are nursed back to health, they should be ready for adoption. Higginbotham said interested adopters can keep up with the prospective pets on the shelter's Facebook page. Southern Fun and More at Yaw.com. All right, that's a real cat story coming from our guy, Kobe Bennett, and the Southern Accent. Well, that will conclude this first hour of Everything Southern. We got a whole nother hour. Why don't you say we get back here after this break and get it going with Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent? 
We're going to have a lot of business news to pass along. In fact, we'll be hearing from the executive vice president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce talking about how the pandemic really affected a worker shortage going on right now. That plus some book talk, it's on y'all. Hey now, hey now, it's y'all, it's Hour 2. I'm John Rawl, the General of the South, and we are here for a 60-minute presentation, round two of the Wednesday edition. We've already knocked out our first edition, Hour 1. This is Hour 2. We've got a whole nother hour beyond this one. It is awesome to sit here and be, and sometimes I stand, but I usually sit and be your southern friend, your southern connection here on the Y'all Show. And it is awesome to be with you here as we are now halfway through the work week. And we're halfway through the Y'all Wednesday edition. On this second hour, we've got a look at headlines continuing of what's going on of the Southland on this Wednesday. Also, some business news will pass along as part of our Southern Business Report. We've got a great audio clip coming up in our business coverage today. A clip coming from Yahoo Finance. Yahoo Finance's Alexis Christophers, Alexis Christophersis, or whatever. She's got a good Greek name. I'll give her credit on that one. Alexis has a chance, and she sat down with U.S. Chamber of Commerce Executive VP Neil Bradley, and these two discussed how the pandemic exacerbated the worker shortage that many of us are experiencing. You experienced it because maybe you're a worker not working, or maybe you've gone into a business here recently, and because of a worker shortage, it's now affecting your shopping habits. I'll share my own thoughts on that. That will be coming up in our interview of Southern Business in today's Y'all Show second hour. Before the hour is up, we are going to talk a little books. I'll give you the latest bestsellers and top sellers at Amazon.com, and we'll hear from Maryland native Nora Roberts. She's got the number one book out on the New York Times bestseller list. I'll tell you a little bit about that book, and then you'll hear Roberts talking as she was on Amazon Books' their Amazon Books YouTube channel, and we'll find out what the Maryland native and a big-time book author had to say. And she even talks about her family. And we'll have that here before the second hour is up. If you want to get involved with y'all and you want to talk about your family, we welcome that. You don't have to go to Amazon Books' YouTube channel. You can do that by calling up the Y'all Show telephone number or texting the Y'all Show telephone number. The way to do that is 803-816-1170. 803-816-1170. You call that number. We'll pass along what you got to say, whether it's a suggestion or a criticism or just something else going on in your southern world. We want to hear about it. Our email address is mail, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. And, of course, our website is y'all.com. The South's homepage is y-a-l-l.com. Good information there. More coming. Get on board. Bookmark it. Like it. We appreciate everybody who goes there and makes it a daily habit to check out the South's homepage. It is y'all.com. In our headlines here, to pick up things here in the second hour of today's Y'all Show, 
Terry McAuliffe has won the Democratic nomination to be the next governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. He ended up winning rather easily as he's going to now take on a Republican named Youngkin, who is an outsider, and he has no political experience. He is a businessman, Youngkin is. And now you got a guy in McAuliffe who was once governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia, and now he gets a chance to go back and be governor again. Remember, Virginia's got a weird policy of who is their chief executive, as they don't allow consecutive terms in Richmond and throughout the Commonwealth. And so Terry McAuliffe, who is 64 years old, he's what we call in the South a darn Yankee, as he was born in Syracuse. And, as I said, was the governor of Virginia just a few years ago. His, he was governor from 2016, or rather from 2014 to 2018 is when he was governor. He was succeeded by the current governor, Ralph Northam. His predecessor was the last Republican in the state of Virginia to be governor, and that was Bob McDonald. And some people think that there may never be a, another Republican governor of Virginia again. I don't know about that, but boy, it's been surprising how far left the Commonwealth has gone in just the last decade. And now Terry McAuliffe, who at one time was reported to be perhaps a candidate for United States president in 2020, he could have maybe even had a chance to be the vice presidential nominee for Hillary Clinton back in 2016, as he and Clinton are very, very very tight. In fact, he was the chairman of Hillary Clinton's 2008 presidential campaign. He was co-chair of Bill Clinton's 96 re-election campaign, very close to the Clintons, and he's been the chair of the Democratic National Committee before becoming governor of Virginia, and after his tenure ended in 2018 as governor of Virginia, you've seen him appear on TV shows for the last several years, and now he'll have a chance to be on TV even more as he's your Democratic nominee to be Virginia's next governor and succeed Ralph Northam, who will be term limited, at least for the one term that he's been governor. Who knows? It could be Ralph Northam elected after, if McAuliffe wins, in a couple of more years. Ralph Northam of blackface fame there in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And right now he's going to be going up against this Republican newcomer, as we said, with no previous experience. I guess you don't have to have it when you are running in politics. Go ask a guy down at Mar-a-Lago how much experience he had in political office before he was sworn into the nation's highest office in January of 2017. Also coming out of Washington, D.C., just up the road from Richmond, we are having U.S. senators from the state of West Virginia in the news as Senator Capito of West Virginia. She is, I think, the junior senator of the Mountain State, she has been in discussions with the president. And according to her, President Biden essentially ended a conversation about extending the chance to have a budget passed, a opportunity to work on President Biden's plan to have infrastructure in place. And and so that is something that's in the news from Senator Capito, then Joe Manchin in the news because civil rights leaders have been knocking on his door trying to get him to go along with H.R. 1, the 
election law that is proposed and would nationalize elections around the country. And now the Democrat from a very heavy Republican state, West Virginia, has told reporters, I don't think anybody has changed positions. And some people say that Manchin has dug in that he's not going to back H.R. 1. And civil rights leaders have been begging him to rethink his position on this election bill as Nancy Pelosi has called it a Republican assault on democracy if they don't go for this bill. Joe Biden's got a goal of having 70% of the country vaccinated by July 4th, and it's looking very unlikely the goal will be met. And the South is a big part of that. A lot of Southern states are behind on becoming vaccinated. Not only the South, the Midwest also has not been so vaccine-friendly and Biden's goal of 70%, it looks like it's going to be a little short when we get to that point in just a few weeks. We're now less than a month away from July 4th, and so we're going to likely fall short. Let's just look at one state, Mississippi. Mississippi trails the nation with only about 34% of the population vaccinated, and the governor of that state has gone on TV and talked about it, Governor Tate Reeves, He called Joe Biden's goal arbitrary, to say at least. And so Reeves of Mississippi said he's encouraged residents to get vaccinated, but that the more important marker was the decline in cases in the state. So he's saying, even though we're telling people they're not getting it, but the good news is, at least in Mississippi, numbers are going down as they are in most of the United States at this point, which is great news. Let's let's be very, very thankful that that is a story we're telling you about here on today's y'all show. Also in Mississippi, we'll keep it there. Or actually, we'll go to Maryland, another state that starts with an end that has a little bit of a beach presence. Maryland, how about this? An Ocean City woman impaled by a rogue beach umbrella, and she's now suing the town of Ocean City, Maryland, and she's suing the rental business for negligence. The woman is actually a visitor to Ocean City from Pennsylvania, Jill Mendigrel, and she was on vacation when a beach umbrella impaled her near 54th Street as the umbrella swept up by the wind out of the sand and impaled the woman in the chest on her first day of vacation. And now this week she's filed in U.S. District Court in Maryland a case seeking more than $15,000. She had to be taken by helicopter to a hospital, had to go through emergency surgery to remove the umbrella. How would you like to have that happen to you on your first day of vacation? The complaint also says that the city of Ocean City and a company called 85 and Sunny LLC, which rented the umbrella to her, are responsible for the care of the beach, including monitoring the forecast and wind gust and folding umbrellas in the downward position so that they are unable to become dislodged from the sand. What a scary thing there. I hope the woman's going to be okay. But she ended up having to have surgery. She's got back pain, numbness in her right arm, and fevers and anxiety as well as depression from a beach umbrella impaling her. Makes you think twice now when you're hitting the sand of your favorite beach this summer of, could that beach umbrella over there come after me? Yeah, I hope she's okay. And she's going to likely, if all she's asking for is $15,000 If I were Ocean City, I'd say, here's your check, lady. Please don't come back here. We're sorry for this. (laughs) No, 
or they could say, please come back and just stay away from those beach umbrellas. Scary times, and and I've thought about those things before coming undone when the gust at my favorite beach got a little bit out of control. Luckily, no one in my beach has been impaled, and hopefully that's not a, a very common thing at Ocean City, Maryland. If you want to look up to the sky on Thursday, it would be a good thing to do because you just might see what's called a ring of fire. A ring of fire on display in the northern portion of the country. But perhaps here in the south you can see this thing. You're going to have to get up early beginning at 5.30 and lasting until around 6 a.m. Eastern. You might just see this ring of fire. A solar eclipse happens when the sun, or rather when the moon is sitting between the sun and the earth. And sometimes the moon completely blocks the sun, so the sky goes dark. In this case, you get what's called a ring of fire eclipse. This is where the moon does not entirely block the sun, but it creates a ring of light around the moon. It's only going to be, again, partial uh, visible in portions of the country. Since the sun is going to be rising in most of the south when this eclipse is happening, maybe 5 to 10% visible for some portions of the South to see this thing. So here is my one time I'll tell you that you have a valid excuse to go North and see this ring of fire eclipse. The partial solar eclipse differs from last month's super flower blood moon, which was a total lunar eclipse. Unlike a lunar eclipse during a solar eclipse, you should never stare straight at the sun. Even if it's only a partial eclipse, use Eclipse glasses. Y'all still remember from 2017, that big thing that came through in about August where we had total darkness in some portions of the South, only for a couple of seconds. But people went bananas when that thing came through. People made vacations out of it. I still have photos from that couple of seconds when that thing was going on. Uh, Really odd, odd day and uh, an unusual day as well back in 2017 when that thing i've already forgot what it was called because we've gone through so much since 2017 when that came through four golly hard to believe four years ago that thing came through whatever it was called see i already forgot about it. i'm now focused on rings of fire hey if you want to go to tennessee this week guess what at least if you're a native of tennessee and a tennessee resident you can fish where's craig faulkner craig get in here help me with this tennesseans can now fish for free on public waters in the Volunteer State this weekend, as special events will be held throughout Tennessee, including East, Middle, and West. At Knoxville, you can go to the 37th Annual Bob Watt Youth Fishing Radio at Anchor Park and take part in this Free Fishing Day, 2021 Free Fishing Day, this weekend in the state of Tennessee. Farragut, also in East Tennessee, They're going to provide worms and a limited number of fishing poles available for loan in East Tennessee there at that location. And if you are throughout the state, this is, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I've lived in Tennessee, and it wasn't but a few months into my tenure living in the volunteer state that it hit me. I think I'm the only guy not fishing. Is there a state law in Tennessee that you got to fish? The home of Bill Dance, of course, Tennessee. I think it might just be the case. And uh, they got other crazy rules that I think might be laws in Tennessee, like 
you got to hate country music. Maybe that I'm just kidding on that one. Maybe that only applies if you're a Nashvilleian. If you're from Nashville, it's a rule that you have to dislike country music, or at least you have to tell people, "Oh, I don't like country music. This it's not cool enough for me." And it's the home of country music, for goodness sake. Yes, but if you're under the age of 15 and you can't make it out on the water on Saturday, you can still fish without a license. Again, if you're under the age of 15 in Tennessee, you can still fish without a license through June 18th. And this is only on public waters of the volunteer state. So I don't know if other states in the South are making a big deal out of free fishing, but in Tennessee on the public waters, you can go fishing for free come Saturday Note to all y'all, and I bet you they're going to be rather lenient, even if you're not a Tennessee resident. In fact, nowhere in the story I just said did it require you to be a Tennessean, or as we say in the upper levels of society, a Tennessean. <laughs> okay, let's keep it in Tennessee for another story and another great thing going on. This time in Memphis, Hunter Fan Company. Are you all familiar with Hunter Fans? Often sold at some of our big box stores around the southeast. Hunter Fan Company is going to give away 135 ceiling fans to celebrate their 135th birthdays. And and guess what? In this case, you got to be from the Memphis area to get one of the 135 ceiling fans to celebrate Hunter Fans' 135th anniversary. That's a long time to be in business, especially when your business is founded on something that has to do with electricity. I didn't even realize electricity was around 135 years ago, but it, maybe it was. Local Memphians can send a direct message to Instagram account at HunterFanCo, HunterFanCo. Send a direct message on Instagram to that account and enter for your chance to win one of the ceiling fans from Hunter Fan Company. The message needs to include the home address and a photo of the space in the home that needs a fan upgrade. Winners might find a fan on their doorstep this summer. How about that? So Hunter Fan Company is not going to mail these things since they're based or have a presence in the Memphis area. They're going to come knocking on your door when you least expect it and say, you sent us a direct message to at Hunter Fan Co. on Instagram. And as a thank you for your your Instagram, not tweet, but whatever that's called, direct message that they sent there on social media. And because we love you and we've got 135 of these ceiling fans sitting around our warehouse here, congratulations. We're going to cool down you with one of these beautiful Hunter ceiling fans to get your summer going big time. That's, That's actually not a bad story to pass along here. Way to go, Hunter fans. And happy 135th birthday right there in Memphis. When we come back on Y'all Show, we're going to keep the business talk going. We've got a business report to get to you. Also, this hour, we're going to be hearing from the executive VP of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Neil Bradley is his name. He's going to talk about how the pandemic has exacerbated the worker shortage. That is coming up plus later in the hour, a Southern Book Report. It's the Y'all Show.
That train better be coming. It's y'all talk with a southern accent, and it is time now here on the Wednesday edition to give you a little business news and more. And we're going to start our business news out with some information coming from our nation's capital. And, hey, if that train's coming, it better have a lot of supplies on it because, frankly, we have a supply issue going on. President Biden is launching a task force on bottlenecks in supply chains. After a review, the administration is forming this task force to address bottlenecks in the semiconductor, construction, transportation, and agriculture sections. What's going on in the nation's supply chain? And that's what they're going to try to be tasked and and find out a reason for this. This week in Washington, D.C., there was a press conference held and the director, the deputy director of the National Economic Council, Samira Fazili, spoke at this press conference on Tuesday, and she answered questions about what is going on with the supply chain. Just one more issue going on. Administration officials said the goal of the review in this 250-page report was to increase domestic manufacturing, limit shortages of vital goods, and reduce a dependence on geopolitical competitors such as China. The official said the administration wanted to get ahead of crises such as the computer chip shortage that had hurt automakers this year. According to Fazili, our approach to supply chain resilience needs to look forward to emerging threats from cybersecurity to climate issues. Now, this issue in this report follows a 100-day review that emphasized that supply chains are critical for national security, economic stability, and global leadership, noting how the coronavirus and subsequent economic turmoil exposed the country to supply chain vulnerabilities like when soaring demand for medical products wreaked havoc on the health care system. This gives us an opportunity to talk about how fragile we really are. We like to pride ourselves. We're proud Southerners here on this show. We're proud Americans too. And we might be the world superpower. Well, we got competition and we're not perfect. And I think the last year has shown that we have had issues. We've got real issues. When you can't even get gasoline, that's an issue. When you can't get toilet paper, that's an issue. When you can't get gas at a reasonable price, that's an issue. So, yeah, we got issues in the biggest country from a global perspective, GDP perspective, in the entire world. And a lot of this comes down to a reliance on things like computers. Computers can go haywire, and they can be corrupted. They can be hacked. And when those kind of things happen, you end up having the Colonial Pipeline incident from a month ago. You end up having, when the virus started out big time, people freaking out and hoarding. And that's going to happen no matter what's going on, whether it's a, a storm passing through or, in this case, just an awful thing coming over from China. And so we've got, as a country, to be willing to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, we're not quite what we think we might be. We're not perfect. 
The Energy Department also has released a blueprint to develop supplies for lithium batteries in addition to providing roughly $17 billion in loans for advanced batteries that would help shift the country to electric vehicles. The Biden administration is heck-bent on trying to get this country green, and they're being pushed by the Green New Deal. And if we don't get it figured out during this administration, I don't know where we're going to stand from a change from from having a carbon footprint and using what we know as gasoline-powered and oil-powered engines going further into the 21st century. Now, the Agriculture Department is going to spend $4 billion to strengthen the supply chain for food as part of this whole effort going on this week with the Biden administration launching a task force, a task force. They didn't call me and get my opinion on this, but they may have called you. Task force on bottlenecks and supply chains. And so, yeah, we're trying to avoid some of these issues that we've already seen, and and if it all works out, maybe they'll keep us going and not have hiccups going down the road in the future. To South Carolina, the only state-owned utility in the Palmetto State has survived as a public company. This follows several years of complete embarrassment for South Carolina's only state-owned utility and in the news this week because it looks like Santee Cooper, the only state-owned utility, their future uncertain since July of 2017 when construction on a pair of nuclear reactors in which the utility was a minority partner stopped before completion, leaving the company billions of dollars in debt. And the governor of the state, Henry McMaster, and other legislators have come to the aid and come to help out this company, Santee Cooper, which is fairly large in the Charleston area, working into the Santee Cooper area, to be honest. The name comes from the two big lakes of which are used as part of their footprint for hydroelectric power, Lake Santee, Lake Cooper, and that's sort of in the Manning, South Carolina area and the Holly Hill portion of the state, Santee Cooper, which also is a electric company in the state. Another one that evidently was privately owned was Scana. Scana also had a complete disaster at a site they were putting up and executives making unbelievable amounts of money at that one. And that one's been chopped up. I believe Dominion might be the name of the power company from Virginia that's gone in and taken over Scana in the last couple of years. That was originally South Carolina Electric and Gas, uh, which was Scana's parent company. They've had to sell to Dominion Energy of Virginia after a big-time scandal there in the last few years. But, yes, power, power, power. We kind of need it, and that's been very obvious. That's one thing that most of the South, at least, has not had to endure too many electric problems, unlike our friends in California with brownouts and things of that ilk that have gone on. And through the pandemic here, to my knowledge, we haven't seen electrical problems happening, just problems getting our toilet paper. That's, in some of your cases, a much bigger deal than not having that nice, good ceiling fan or that good fan pumping good, cool air on you 
when it's 110 degrees outside. That is some of our business news here on today's Y'all Show that we're going to pass along. We'll take a little break here, and when we come back on the Y'all Show, we'll keep the business news going forward. We will have some information about jobs, jobs, jobs. Are you looking for a job? Are you mad that some people aren't taking over and doing the job they were hired to do? They're not exactly showing up for work, and that's affecting you. It's affected me. I'll tell you how it's affected me when we come back from the break. And speaking of jobs and more, we're going to have an audio clip that we'll play in the next segment as our Southern Business Report continues. And it comes to us courtesy of Yahoo Finance, as that YouTube channel recently caught up with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Executive Vice President Neil Bradley. And he talks in this clip about how the pandemic has exacerbated the worker shortage. And the clip there from Yahoo Finance is going to be coming your way. Also, before the hour is up, we will have our Southern Book Report. So we'll move over from business to the business of books, tell you which books right now find themselves atop the bestsellers list, and we'll hear audio from author Nora Roberts. Her latest book is number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. And we'll learn more about this Maryland native as part of our Southern Book Report in Hour 2. That's all coming up on Y'all. Back into y'all, the show all about the South. And if you want to be involved with the show all about the South, it's so easy to do. All you got to do is text us at 803-816-1170. And then if you want to tell others about the y'all show and they haven't heard it, it's so easy to do that. All you got to do is send them to y'all.com, the South's homepage. And right there at the homepage of the South, you'll see a nice y'all show banner. And that is where you click and you'll see today's show, yesterday's show. You'll see future shows. We've done nearly 500 y'all shows. And they're all right there at your little tiny fingertips. Just check it out. It's the y'all show. And if that's not cool enough for you or you want to have another way to share what's going on across the southeast with someone else, you can get the podcast edition of the show at Apple Podcasts. Just search for y'all show. And it's right there, a big bright red and white logo awaiting you to hit the play button or download button. So it's in Apple Podcasts. We're also in the Stitcher app, which is a really cool way to catch up with podcasts. We're there. Plus, we're in the iHeartRadio app and the TuneIn 
radio app. We're the Y'all Show, and we give you a lot of different choices to catch up with us each and every day. And if you miss a portion of the show, it's all at your fingertips to download and listen at your convenience. If you want to go out and get that 20-mile run in today, you can listen to us while you're cruising the streets of the South. It's Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent with your host, John Rawl. And we continue here on this Wednesday edition with a look at Southern business news and job openings have surged to a record 9.3 million in the month of April as employers posting this record job openings as the U.S. economy reopens at breakneck speed. You can find jobs. Jobs are there. But are people filling them? That's that's really the dilemma that we've got right now. Employers hired just 6.1 million people. That's up one percentage from March, according to Labor Department reports that came out this week, suggesting that positions are opening faster than companies can fill them. But yes, we've got now openings at 8.3 in the month of March. And there is a big, big problem of people not working. People are getting their unemployment benefits, if you will, the government kicking in extra hundreds of dollars each week for people, and you're seeing a lot of businesses struggle. Hotels and restaurants reopening after the the fact they were closed or forced to close during the virus reported the biggest increase in jobs available. Americans quitting their jobs rose 11% to almost 4 million people quitting their jobs in April And that's the highest figure in records going back to the year 2000. The U.S. Labor Department reported on Friday that the economy generated 559,000 new jobs in May and that the employment rate dipped to 5.8, and that was down from 6.1% in the prior month of April. So we're going to hear in just a second from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Executive Vice President Neil Bradley has that position. Neil was recently on Yahoo Finance with Alexis Christophorus, and they talked about how the pandemic exacerbated the worker shortage in the country right now. And you've seen it. You've felt it. And I'll just use one of our great Southern companies as an example of why we have issues with workers. I, just like you more than likely, Stop by my local Dollar General at least two to three times a week. Sometimes if I want to get wild and crazy, I go to other Dollar Generals in my community. That's really going out there on a wild limb, don't you think? And this week I decided to go to another Dollar General since I was on that part of town. And I go there at roughly 7.15, and there's a sign on the front door. Due to... Shortage of workers, we close at 7 p.m. And I'm like, like, what is it, Bart Simpson? Dude! I felt that way. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I, I'm not coming in here five minutes before closing time. The sun's still out. And you're closed because you say you don't have enough workers at Dollar General, which most Dollar Generals have at most, I think, two to three employees working at a given time. Sometimes I think they got just one. <laughs> Or it seems that way. Heck, some of them might not have any. And they're still open, even without anybody working in there. But that made me a little bit irate. Then I go to another Dollar General. 
And this time, it's around a little, maybe this one's about 6 o'clock the next day I go by it. And the front door's locked. No sign on the door. Absolutely no sign on the door, and they're locked in broad daylight. And I got very upset. The good Lord probably not happy with me. Because it was the second day in a row I'd been turned away at Dollar General. And this time, the woman at least yelled something to me, trying to explain why they were close. But there was no sign on the door. I had no real explanation. And all I could gather was this was one of those Dollar Generals that was so short of employees that they actually had their supply truck parked in the back. And I think the managers or all employees at Dollar Generals, bless their hearts, have to go help unload the truck in addition to sitting there all day at a register working. And I, I actually I have talked to a Dollar General manager in recent weeks about this same employment dilemma. And this person who manages the the number one Dollar General I go to was really complaining that they couldn't find anybody to work. And she was the one telling me, that people are sitting at home not doing anything, and she's been at work every day since this pandemic started. And so there's a lot of great employees at places that I'm mentioning here, but there's a lot of people who've taken advantage of the pandemic to just not work at all. And and if you've had a tough time, that's what employment's for. Unemployment, I should say. That's what those checks are available for to get you through a really tough time. But if you're just taking advantage of the system and not doing anything, and I'm going back to Dollar General, I think it was in a Dollar General that I heard a guy in front of me bragging to someone that they're making more money now not working than they've made in a long time. And that's why we're in the situation we're in, and that's why places, places that a lot of us depend on to go get good stuff like the Dollar Generals or other retailers around the southeast are having such a Really difficult time right now getting people to show up and do their part. And if they would just show up and do their part, then I could go in there and spend money and buy important things like vitamins. And what else do I buy at Dollar? I usually get my bread and milk at DG. And if I'm really wanting to splurge, I might find me a box of honey buns or something like that. Don't tell my doctor that (laughs) we all have our little sins that we commit and for for me it's it's an occasional honey bun honey all right well let's not sin anymore let's hear from the u.s chamber of commerce executive vice president neil bradley this is an interview again with yahoo finances alexis christophersis and this was on the yahoo finance on youtube channel and here Mr. Bradley talks about how the pandemic has exacerbated the worker shortage going on in the country right now. Well, we're using the term crisis because that's frankly what it is. Uh, When you look at uh, the inability that employers have to fill open jobs and the fact that from the construction industry where they're turning down new opportunities to the restaurant industries where they're closing for lunch service simply because they don't have enough workers, it is a widespread problem that's ultimately holding our economy back. So then, of course, the question is, Neil, uh, how do we solve that problem? How do we fix that crisis? 
Well, there, there's no single solution. So it's important to remember that before the pandemic, we had a worker shortage. Uh, Today, as we exit the pandemic, the pandemic has exacerbated some of the underlying causes. So whether it's parents who need uh, access to affordable childcare so that they can return to work, schools that are reopened so that their kids are in in-person school, or addressing the skills gap. Those are things that we have to do. In addition, we have to remove the disincentives that encourage people to stay unemployed. We know that about one in four workers is taking home more money in unemployment than they earned working. That's holding back. That's why we're so pleased to see half the states now move to rescind that $300. And then ultimately, we have to have a conversation about immigration. Talk to me a little bit more about the conversation regarding immigration. How's that going to move the needle here when it comes to, you know, getting people back into the workforce in a meaningful way? So a couple of areas. Uh, because of the pandemic, it's exacerbated the work shortage. So go to a resort town, any beach in the United States, typically in the summer, you would find a lot of those seasonal jobs filled by people who are on temporary visas into the United States. Um, this is not a new phenomenon. Because of the pandemic, those folks aren't here today. We can begin to remove some of those barriers, expedite the approval, but ultimately we need to increase the number of people who are coming in both permanently and on a temporary basis for employment-based reasons. Our economy's gotten a lot bigger. The need for workers has gotten a lot bigger, but we haven't adjusted our uh, immigration levels. And so the Biden administration deserves credit. A couple of weeks ago, they announced 22,000 more seasonal H-2B visas. That number needs to be a lot higher. Yesterday, we called on Congress to work with the administration to double the level of H-2B and H-1B visas and double the level of employment-based immigration. All right. That was Executive Vice President of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Neil Bradley, speaking with Yahoo Finance's Alexis Christophorus on the Yahoo Finance on YouTube channel. And he likes that word, exacerbated. He sure got his usage out of that in that interview. When we come back, we're going to exacerbate the Y'all Show, and we're going to have book talk. It's coming up next. Delta Dawn, what's that flower you have on? Could it be a faded rose from days gone by? And did I hear you say he was meeting you here today? Take you to his mansion in the sky She's 41 and her daddy still calls her baby All the folks around Brownsville say she's crazy Cause she walks downtown with a suitcase in her hand Looking for a mysterious dark-haired man all right, we're going to close out this second hour of Y'all with something for all you scholarly Southerners. It's the Y'all Book Report. Get your pen and paper out for this. Let's take a quick look at the Amazon charts, what's going on of the Amazon world. The most sold nonfiction book is Texas Boy Matthew McConaughey and Green Lights. The number one most sold fiction book is... The Last Thing He Told Me. The most read nonfiction, I guess it helps to be a celebrity, 
a promised land from a guy named Barack Obama. That's the number one most read nonfiction book at his Amazon. And then Project Hail Mary from Andy Weir is the most read fiction book on the Amazon charts right now. Then when you go to the New York Times bestsellers list, there are some changes there to update you on over the last couple of days. In the nonfiction book, Michael Lewis, sadly, his daughter died the other day in a car crash in California. The Premonition, his book, is at number five this week. Carol Lenning and Zero Failed, it's been out two weeks. It's number four on the nonfiction category of the New York Times bestsellers. John Green's The Anthropocene Reviewed is number three right now. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey's What Happened to You, been out about a month. It's number two. And Bill O'Reilly and Killing the Mob, also out four weeks. It's number one. O'Reilly penned this with Martin Dugard. It's the 10th book in the Conservative Commentator's Killing series, looking at organized crime in the U.S. during the 20th century. Bill O'Reilly's book number one. Then when we skip over to what's going on in the fiction category of the New York Times bestsellers, John Grisham's book has scooted down to number five, Suley is his newest read. Andy Weir's Project Hail Mary shows up at number four on the New York Times bestsellers list. Christine Feehan's Shadow Storm is brand new this week. It is the sixth book in the Shadow Rider series. It checks in at number three. Also in the combined print ebook ebook fiction category from the New York Times bestseller, Laura Dave's The Last Thing He Told Me is at number two. And brand new this week and number one, on New York Times print and ebook fiction category is Maryland native Nora Roberts and Legacy. It is number one. Legacy threats threats put in rhymes and sent from shifting locations escalate as the daughter of a successful fitness celebrity's own yoga business grows. Woo! Legacy from Nora Roberts. Let me tell you about Nora Roberts. Nora Roberts is 70 years old, born in Silver Spring, Maryland. And she has been very active as a writer for now 40 years. She's currently married to Bruce Wilder, and she has been very successful. As she was the first author to be inducted into the Romance Writers of America Hall of Fame. And some 10 years ago, her novels had spent a combined 861 weeks on the New York Times bestsellers list, including 176 weeks at Numero Uno. She was born in 1950, the youngest of five children. I know what it's like to be the youngest of a couple of kids there. And Nora, you've done quite well with yourself with what you've been able to do. Her writing career started in 1979 while housebound with two small boys. She started to write during a blizzard of 79. And that although she had three feet of snow outside and a dwindling supply of chocolate, she had no morning kindergarten to take her kids to, so she had little else to do. She started writing, and lo and behold, look where she's gone in her career. Nora Roberts, and this latest book of hers is number one. Her other books include Tribute, Sanctuary. That was out in 2001. That's been turned into a screen adaptation. Lifetime's got a couple of her books turned into some Lifetime movies, and just a a great repertoire. Midnight Bayou, also another Nora Roberts book. And she's done quite a job since that snowstorm more than 40 years ago, writing great books as she, the Maryland writer, 
who also has used the pseudonym Jill March for publications around the world, also wrote as J.D. Robb in the Death series that she penned. She's a writing machine with 225 romance novels to her credit. You know, maybe there's something we could all learn from Nora Roberts. Let's go in and hear a recent interview that Nora Roberts did for Amazon Books. This is from Amazon Books' YouTube channel. And here she is talking about her career and her family in our Southern Book Spotlight. The most enjoyable part was finishing it. It's done. It's finally done. It was a long, long road, something, a direction I hadn't really gone before. And finishing it was a real celebration. I'm done, and I think it holds up, and I like where it all, I like everything that happened, so I'm cool with it. I, I've never killed off billions of people before, one or two here and there. One of the hardest parts and the most fascinating was the world building, rebuilding the world after I had shut it down, destroyed it, killed people, and your infrastructure is the first to go. You lose communications, you lose power, uh, food, water. How do, you, how do you get all of those things again? How do you teach yourself to be self-sufficient? You have to figure out how to do all of these things. Uh, and then you have uh, the magical element where people are finding, some people are finding powers within themselves that they didn't have before the doom. Do they go to the dark? Do they go to the light? Uh, and human nature, um, some people are just going to be bad. Some people are still going to be greedy and bigoted and take advantage of other people. Uh, and some people will work to form communities and connections and to make the world a better place. So which side are you going to be on? My family, they're all readers. I come from a family of readers. I don't remember ever not reading. I don't remember learning to read. It's just always, I just always remember reading. I do remember when I was maybe eight or something, around that age, my oldest brother buying me the Eloise books. And they, they, they have a real, I have a real soft spot for Eloise and Nanny and Weenie and Skipperty and all of that. Um, but I, surely that wasn't the book that turned me into a reader. It was just one that really struck me. And that was Maryland native author Nora Roberts, who's penned more than 200 books. Her latest romance book out called Legacy. And you can check that out on a newsstand and bookstore near you. And that was an interview she did at Amazon Books' YouTube channel. We got a whole nother hour of y'all coming your way after this break. Back into Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. It's our third of three hours on this Wednesday edition. So good to have you back here. We're going to have a fantastic journey through a 60-minute discussion of this region. And if you have a little y'all in your drawl, then you have found the right spot on your radio and podcast dial. I'm General John Rawl, CSA Certified Southern American. And it is great to sit here in the host chair and tell you all about what's going on in your neighborhood, this little neighborhood we call the Southeast. 
here in this hour of the y'all show i'm going to tell you something that many of you love and you might not realize that this weekend is going to be a big day go ahead and scratch this on the calendar for this saturday it is record store day 2021 in fact those who love vinyl you've got two days this year to celebrate record store day as it's not only june 12th it's going to be july 17th as well two for one and we've got some of the great albums that will be put out here for record store day some of these are re-releases and some may be first time ever on vinyl for all of you vinyl heads check out the upcoming segment on record store day 2021 also this hour we'll continue a look at our headlines from across the region and just fill you up with great content on the show that truly is your show i'll just be quite honest with you it's not just your show it's y'all's show and it is the y'all show pretty crafty how we come up with this stuff here don't you think so all that ahead here in hour three our website is y'all.com it is the south's homepage. find great content video interviews and just helpful articles to get you through your day at y'all.com y'all the south's homepage. we launched this hour of y'all with sports in mind before we move over to talking about records and so much more and here in the southeast we love our football and we love when we have pretty good football games on the schedule and we're going to have a little bit of that coming in a few years you're going to have to wait until 2028 but the alabama crimson tide has scheduled a home and home series with the oklahoma state sooners i think most Alabama fans would rather have seen the did i say oklahoma state oklahoma state cowboys they would rather have seen the sooners instead of the ag school of the sooner state but yes sure enough the tide and osu the pokes playing in 2028 and 2029 and there's also been a slight change with notre dame on the crimson tide schedule the first game of this bama osu cowboys series taking place in stillwater on September 23rd, 2028. And then the Big 12 team comes to SEC country on September 15th of 2029. Alabama's home-and-home series with Oklahoma State announced. They've had a pretty busy week in Tuscaloosa this week. We already told you that they were able to ink a contract extension with head coach Nick Saban that will take him Somewhere in this category of 2028 and 2029, maybe Saban will be coaching out there in uh, – I'm not going to pick on the guy. He's, what, right at seven years old? So this will be in his late 70s. Yeah, he could still be a pretty big force in 2029 in college football. I think that's what he's counting on. That's why he's agreed to this contract that at some point gives him $10 million a year to be the Crimson Tides football coach. And I know he's a good coach. But how hard is it to be Alabama's football coach? How hard is it to get a recruit to come to Tuscaloosa and play for the best college football program in the country? A football program that frankly has been challenged in recent years, mainly by Clemson, to be the best college football program in the country. And I'm still not quite ready to give 
Clemson of the title of second best football team. I still think Clemson's got the best thing going, and I don't even like that team. But I, I like what they've done. You can't deny that they've been a great football team with multiple national championships and so many players going to the NFL and a young – young. He's about 51 years old now, but that's still about 20 years younger than Nick Saban. Dabo Sweeney, what he's done there in Tigertown. Alabama, I was ready to dethrone them from college football's chair of supremacy. But they just won the national championship, to their credit. So maybe Clemson, you might have to get sent to the back one chair at least, and let's keep Alabama on the throne of country college football superiority for the time being. But yeah, it looks like the Tide and the Oklahoma State Cowboys now suiting up in 2028 and 2029. And because of this change, Alabama's previously scheduled home-and-home with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. That's been pushed back to the 2029 and 2030 seasons. Those dates now between the Irish and the Tide will be September 1st, 2029 in South Bend, followed by the Irish coming to Bryant-Denny Stadium on September 14th of 2030. That ought to be fun. That will be fun. In fact, head coach Nick Saban, the newly inked extension Nick Saban, in a statement saying, we are very excited to add another excellent opponent to our future non-conference schedule with the addition of Oklahoma State. Greg Byrne, who is the athletic director, and our administration have done a great job of scheduling outstanding football games that benefit both our program and our fans. Now, Oklahoma State and Alabama last met in the 2006 Independence Bowl, which was a 34-31 win for the Big 12 Cowboys. And that was the year before Saban arrived. So, therefore, that would have been in the Coach Shula era of which I think he had already been let go. I think that was a game Joe Kynes coached. How about me pulling out the Joe Kynes info on today's Y'all Show? I think he was the coach of that game. in 2006, I think, was a year that Alabama football obviously struggled but I think that might have been one of the years that they lost to Louisiana Monroe. And there was a joke that SEC fans were going around saying that year about how Alabama was not going to be able to get to play in the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. And it was a pretty funny joke. They weren't able to get to the Independence Bowl in Shreveport from Tuscaloosa because they couldn't get past Louisiana Monroe, or at least on I-20, it's Monroe, Louisiana. Pretty funny joke. Almost the same joke that I was told as a youngster about the South Carolina Gamecocks. And Clemson fans would go around saying this joke. So in 1982, I think that was the year, as a fun thing to do, Jim Carlin's football program scheduled a season finale against the Hawaii Rainbows. A year that even if they weren't going to a bowl game, 
You got to play Hawaii in early December. It was kind of like going to a bowl game. And if you got to go to a bowl game that year, well, then that's just even better. But they had Hawaii on the schedule in 1982, I think was the year. And guess what? About four games into the season, that 1982 Gamecock football team played a team called the Pacific Tigers, a team that doesn't even play football anymore. And do you know that the Gamecocks of 1982, which were technically coached by a a guy named Richard Bell, now that I think about it, they lost to Pacific. And so that led to a joke that said, did you – this was told before that scheduled game with Hawaii that year. Hey, did you hear that the Gamecocks aren't going to be – they're not going to be able to play that game at Hawaii? No, I didn't hear that. What happened? And the joke was, well, they can't play at Hawaii because they couldn't get over Pacific. (laughs) It's pretty funny, don't you think? Well, that was also the case with the Alabama Crimson Tide as they played in that year – 2006, I'm looking at the schedule. Yeah, they did lose to Oklahoma State. I may be wrong on who they lost to. They lost to somebody rather embarrassing, I thought. It shows here in my 2006 schedule for Bama that they won 41-7 against ULM that year. And they, oddly enough, started that season against Hawaii. But they played Hawaii in Bryant-Denny Stadium. I still remember that one. That was in the June Jones era of Hawaii football. I don't see anything too embarrassing for Tide football other than the fact that they did lose the bowl game and they ended up having a season in which they had to vacate all their wins and did not, I guess they were 6-7 and seven was the final result after the bowl loss. 2-6 and six in SEC play. And that's why... At the time, the athletic director said, you know what, Coach Shula, you're out of here. Joe Kynes is going to coach the bowl game, and we're going to see if we can't get a better coach to come here and coach our football program. And they got a guy from the Miami Dolphins, named a guy named Nick Saban, to come be a good coach. I would say that was a pretty smart move by the Alabama football program of 2006. So that's some news on the college football front. Alabama football alum Julio Jones is going to wear number two for the Tennessee Titans as he's moved over to Nashville from Atlanta, technically from Flowery Branch. That's the training facility there in Hall County, Georgia, where the Falcons practice before they go play their game Sunday in downtown Atlanta. Julio is going to wear number two. That is going to have him opposite of A.J. Brown, number 11. Of course, Jones was 11 in Atlanta, but he's agreed to wear number two. So you're going to start seeing big number two jerseys for the Tennessee Titans flying off the store shelves of the Southeast, especially in the Volunteer State. NBA, the playoffs continuing. There's only one game scheduled for this Wednesday. That's going to be the Nuggets and the Phoenix Suns. That taking place at Phoenix Suns Arena. If you rewind to the action from Tuesday, some close games in the association and some games that kind of set the tone for where these programs are going to go moving forward in the NBA playoffs. The Hawks, unfortunately for Southern fans, the Hawks 
lose their battle with the Sixers in Game 2 as Philly wins 118-102 to even up that series at a game apiece. And then the Western semifinals, the Jazz at home with the 112-109 win over the Clips. And now Utah takes a 1-0 series lead in that matchup from the Western Conference of the NBA. One note from the NBA, the big, tall player for the Denver Nuggets, the center, ends up becoming the NBA's player of the year. I think they call it the MVP, most valuable player. And he is now your NBA most valuable player. I think the Greek freak was the most recent MVP. I think I'm right there, but Jokic, Nikola Jokic, won the award, and he is the lowest drafted MVP in NBA history by winning this award. Unfortunately, I don't think he is from the South. I think he is a European player, and I don't think he played college basketball in the South. He went straight to the NBA from Serbia, I believe, is where he's from. But a great job. He was picked 41st in the NBA draft several years ago, and now this guy ends up becoming the MVP over people like Mr. James and over the Greek freak, and he's your best player in the NBA. Way to go, Mr. Nikola Jokic of Serbia. And now you're going to start seeing more and more perhaps Serbians working their way and getting a chance to be NBA superstars. And a great job. I mean, that's not easy to be that tall in the NBA and still go through the grind of games almost every day in the regular season and to be able to survive. And and not only was he the MVP, he's got a chance to win a world championship as the Nuggets are solidly in the playoffs now. And he'll have a chance to get that team on to the finals really soon. To softball, the Florida State Seminoles took game one of the Women's College World Series in Oklahoma City on Tuesday, the Knowles with a chance to win their second national championship in women's college softball in recent years. The Knowles and the Oklahoma Sooners back on the softball diamond on this Wednesday for game two. If the Knowles win it, they are your national champions. If the homestanding Sooners of Oklahoma, the opponent, get a chance to win on this Wednesday there in OKC, they'll have game three on Thursday. The University of Virginia punched its ticket to a Super Regional as they had a walk-off home run in extra innings. Virginia gets to stick around Columbia, South Carolina, where this weekend Dallas Baptist is their Super Regional opponent. Other Super Regionals going on this weekend include Tennessee and LSU having a Super Regional at Lindsey Nelson Stadium there on Rocky Top. And you also have the Vanderbilt Commodores with a Super Regional going on in the Music City, you've got NC State and Arkansas getting together in a Super Regional. Mississippi will be all the way out in the Cactus Desert of Tucson, where they'll be playing the Arizona Wildcats here in college baseball. So it'll be a Super Regional weekend. You win two, you go on to Omaha if you're part of one of these Super Regionals of college baseball. And that is a look at what's going on sports-wise here as this third hour of the show All About the South continues its coverage of the Southeast. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk records. Do you mind? Not the kind of records you see in the sports world, 
but or even in the business world, we're going to talk about actual records. You know, 33s and 45s, but mostly 33s. We're going to talk about how there's going to be in the coming weekend a national record day. And if you're a vinyl head and if you love, and if you're one of these that think that a song sounds so much better coming off of vinyl than it does off of a darn CD, you're going to love the forthcoming segment all about National Record Day. Record Store Day is its actual name. And that's coming up. Also, some more headlines from across the South before we get out of here in this third hour of The Y'all Show with John Rawl. Taking you back to the early 70s with some Dr. John music. That from the album The Night Tripper from New Orleans-based Dr. John, who we lost two years ago. June 6th of 2019 is when this blues slash pop slash jazz slash boogie woogie slash funk slash rock and roll singer Dr. John passed away as he died in his native New Orleans at the age of 77. And the reason we're playing Black John the Conqueror here is because that album of which that song you're hearing was recorded on is going to be available this weekend on vinyl. As this weekend, on Saturday, you've got something called Record Store Day 2021. And it drops June 12th, and it also drops July 17th, and this album is available for you if you don't have a copy of this 1972 release from Dr. John, and this album, again, out called The Night Tripper, it's available this weekend. It's part of the Sun, Moon, and Herbs Deluxe 50th Anniversary Edition by Dr. John. And it's going to be available. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that album. I'll tell you more about some of the other great options available. This 71 album 
had cameos from the likes of Mick Jagger and Eric Clapton, and now augmented with more than 70 minutes of previously unreleased music. If you are able to get a copy, and there's going to be 3,000 of these LPs available here in the coming days of the Sun, Moon, and Herbs Deluxe 2050th Anniversary Edition, Dr. John the Night Tripper. That's among other albums that all will be having something special going on this weekend for this very, very special time. If you are a vinyl head, it is Record Store Day 2021. Now, this song you're hearing, Black John the Conqueror, from this 71 recording, what is it about? Well, first of all, John the Conqueror, also known as High John the Conqueror, or Jack in some cases, and many other folk variants, John the Conqueror is a folk hero from black folklore, as John the Conqueror is associated with a certain root, the John the Conqueror root or John the Conqueror root, to which magical powers are ascribed in American folklore, especially among the hoodoo tradition of folk magic. And, of course, this comes to us from the New Orleans area, which we have not only the reputation of hoodoo, but also voodoo in that part of the world. And Dr. John with this song out on this 1971-72 album. Now, Dr. John was a session musician that was pretty active in the 1950s and beyond. And he appeared at the Bath Festival of Blues and Progressive Music in the 1960s. He had lots of shows. Very festive. He had a lot of Mardi Gras costumes and such. Participated in voodoo ceremonies. This guy born Malcolm John Rebenack Jr. in 1941. He again died two years ago at the age of 77. But had a lot of famous music friends. And this album of which we've been listening to yielded this song, Black John the Conqueror. And... Dr. John, pretty neat little 70s sounding song, don't you think, here on the Y'all Show. And it is part of what we have coming up this weekend with Record Store Day 2021. Let me tell you about other releases that will be part of Record Store Day 2021 if you're able to check any of these out. And also visit the website at recordstoreday.com and go there and you can have, they've done a great job there of telling you about some of the releases that will be part of Record Store Day Also, they've got a participating stores directory, and you'll be able to see where some of the best vinyl options are in your community. And I'll maybe, if time permits, walk through a few of the areas of the South and show off some of the places that are going to have Record Store Day options for you to check out here for Record Store Day 2021. Okay, so here at Record Store Day 2021, you've got a release of various albums of all types that are part of this event that was founded back in 2008 as a way to promote indie shops having special releases. And now this year, because of the pandemic kind of getting in the way of 2020, they're having a what called a drop format where they're dropping two different record store days in 2021, both on June 12th, that's Saturday, and July 17th are the record store days for this year. 
And let me tell you about some of the cool stuff going on. You, again, have these stores going around, and the list of 2021 drops around 400 albums and more coming out here this year. Now, one person who writes for Advanced Local has gone through the list of some 400 releases and called out options to tell you a little bit more about some of their favorites that have a special release here for Record Store Day 2021. How about Aretha Franklin and Oh Me, Oh My in Philly Live 1972? Now, just over 5,000 of these will be released here for Record Store Day. Now, this is a concert recording from the Queen of Souls' Young, Gifted, and Black Era, and it's now available on Record Store Day on vinyl for the very first time. Oh Me, Oh My, Aretha Live in Philly, 1972. And it comes out here in the coming days on vinyl. Live in Oxford. Did they go to the one in Mississippi? I'm not sure. Def Leppard, this Saturday, 4,000 copies of Live in Oxford. The vinyl debut of a 1980 show by the future rock stars. And at this time, they were, as this writer indicates, a bunch of hungry young N-W-O-B-H-M. That would be New Wave of British Heavy Metal Band. Def Leppard, live in Oxford. 4,000 copies on vinyl this weekend available. How about this guy I'd never heard of? He was more of a reggae-type singer. Desmond Decker, King of Ska is the name of this album. The early singles collection, 1963 to 1966, 500 copies available Saturday. It's a box set of seven seven-inch vinyl singles by the Israelites crooner Desmond Decker. Now, I told you about Dr. John and his album that we're hearing in the background, The Night Tripper, had this song out that you're hearing called Black John the Conqueror. And here for Record Day 2021, Record Store Day, 3,000 copies of this The Sun, Moon, and Herbs Deluxe 50th Anniversary Edition from Dr. John the Night Tripper out this weekend as this 1971 album has cameos from Clapton, Jagger, and now it is augmented with more than 70 minutes of previously unreleased music from Dr. John for Record Store Day 2021. How about taking you a guy who was big in the 80s and 90s, Prince, and he's got an album called The Truth. And The Truth, it was part of a triple album of Crystal Ball. This album sounds like Prince performing a solo acoustic show to an empty coffee house with occasional digital bleeps mixed in. And I think it's on vinyl for the first time. The Truth from Prince. 13,000 copies pressed and ready for Record Store Day 2021. The Ramones and Triple J Live, Boston, 1979, Volume 1. This is a radio broadcast from an Australian stop on these punk singers 1980 tour. How about another option for you? This comes to us from Ann Peebles. This is Ann Peebles. 1,500 copies of this R&B singer's debut album from 1969, and it comes pressed on a violent colored vinyl. First time on vinyl for Ann Peebles, and this is Ann Peebles. 1,500 available. Some good Southern rock, the final note from the Allman Brothers Band. It comes out on vinyl. 9,000 copies 
of Dwayne Allman's last concert ever and now available for the first time on vinyl. Charlie Parker, Bird in L.A., a 4LP of previously unreleased music from the Jazz Trumpet Giants L.A. live performances stretching from 45 to 52 if you want to check that out. Warren Zivon and Preludes. That's got 1,800 copies available. A double album of unreleased demos and outtakes found after the Troubadour's 2003 death. It's packaged with a 20-page book and hardbound slipcase, and it's making its vinyl debut, Preludes, and it's got 1,800 copies available for all of you to help celebrate Record Store Day 2021. So again, if you go to the website of recordstoreday.com, You'll see all of the different releases, some of the cool stuff. Tom Petty with something coming out. Dave Chappelle. See, it's not just music. It's anything on vinyl. And it's showcased big at recordstoreday.com. And they have this nifty little participating stores tab here at recordstoreday.com. And so let me just pick a random town. Let's go to, let's say, Mount Airy, North Carolina, Andy Griffith's hometown and see if there's any kind of record store near there for you to go participate in Record Store Day 2021. Hmm, I'm not seeing anything show up right there in Mount Airy, also known as Mayberry. But I can tell you, down the road in Charlotte, at Lunchbox Records, they're participating in this, as well as Repo Records in Charlotte. And in Chapel Hill, they've got a record store participating. They're School Kid Records in Chapel Hill. That's just in North Carolina. Let's go to a place that's known for music, Memphis, Tennessee, and see if there's anything going on record store-wise for Record Store Day 2021. And in Memphis, you got three really cool sites that are participating in Record Store Day. These are independent music sellers that will be participating. you got Goner Records, Shangri-La Records, and Memphis Music. Go check out where they're located if you want to be a part of of memphis's record store day 2021 and you don't have to even be in memphis you could be somewhere near memphis to participate in there and let's say you're in north mississippi let's say you're in olive branch mississippi just down the road from memphis and let's see if there's a record store there participating nope don't see anything there but i do know there's a few in the columbus Starkville area. So let's see if Starkville's got a cool record store for you to check out and participate. Yeah, they sure do. Scooters Records in Stark Vegas. Go to the Super Regionals on Saturday. See Mississippi State and Notre Dame. And then while you're in town, go to Scooters Records and get you a record that's available as part of Record Store Day 2021. How about Athens, Georgia, since we're talking about SEC towns? Athens, GA, a really cool record store in that area. They got three of them. Wuxtry, Secret Sounds, Athens, and Low Low Yo-Yo Stuff in Athens, GA. Let's go to an ACC town. Let's go to Miami, Florida and see if there's a record store. If you're there on South Beach this week listening to the Y'all Show and want to go find out a cool record store, there's a few for you to choose from. You got Technique Records, Lucky Records, Sweat Records, Yesterday and Today Records, and Museo del Desco in Miami, Florida. Those are some record stores of note for you to check out. Cool town here. I'll see if they've got anything record store going on. I'm doing this in real time, by the way. Hot Springs in Arkansas. Is there a record store there for you to check out? No, they don't have a record store participating. Sorry, 
But what about the state capital of Little Rock? Is Little Rock participating in Record Store Day 2021? You betcha. They got one in Little Rock and North Little Rock. You've got Control Records in Little Rock and Arkansas Records CD Exchange in NLR going on this weekend. And then how about hmm, Paris, Texas? Is there a cool record store in Paris? No, I don't see one in Paris. But I can tell you in the Lone Star State, there's going to be plenty of places participating in Record Store Day 2021. A bunch in Austin, as you would expect. End of an ear is in Austin. Out of the past collectibles is participating. Dallas, you got good records in Dallas, as well as Spinster Records that will have records available for you to check out on vinyl for the first time this weekend. In Houston, Cactus and Sig's Lagoon are among the record stores participating. San Antonio, Hog Wild Records, Music Connection has vinyl available for you in a big way. And then right there on the Oklahoma border, War Bonnet Records, a cool record store there. It's got a website, and it's participating in Record Store Day 2021. And why don't we wrap it up here? We haven't given Kentucky love in a while. And so let's go to Kentucky, and let's go to Lexington, Kentucky, and tell you that there are two stores participating in the Bluegrass this weekend, Pops Resale and CD Central in Lexington, Kentucky, all part of Record Store Day 2021. And somebody told me the other day that I haven't mentioned anything in the far western fringe of Kentucky lately. So I can tell you there's two record stores participating in Murray, Kentucky this weekend. You got Sunset Boulevard Music and Terrapin Station in Murray that will be part of Record Store Day 2021. And since this town is home of Western Kentucky, you got two stores in Bowling Green this weekend that has great deals going on. Mellow Mats Music and more, and The Great Escape Bowling Green all participating in Record Store Day 2021. Should be a good time for all y'all to get you a good vinyl, and enjoy the weekend, and there are those out there who swear that it just sounds better coming on vinyl than one of those darn CDs, or certainly better than these digital downloads that just about everybody has at their fingertips in today's 21st century way of listening to music. Let's go back to the 20th century, if you don't mind, for some of you, and enjoy that vinyl spinning and the crack of the record and the drama of that needle moving across and then setting down on the record it is pretty neat to see if you're going to be throwing a party it's a lot cooler to pull out a record and play than hey everybody come let me download and push this button and it's magically here now it's kind of neat to see music when it actually takes a little bit of effort (laughs) enjoy national record store day 2021 saturday and on july 17th as well We've got a quick look at some more headlines across the southeast. Before we get out of here, that's up next. 803-816-1170 is our number. Want to hear from you. What would happen if you got with me? Kissing you would hit the spot with me. Come and skip a couple rocks with me. Give me any of your heart tonight. Ain't no reason that we need to be apart tonight. I got 
star tonight Looking at you, girl, it's hard to fight Those stars need to be wished on Your skin needs to be kissed on My eyes, baby, they're fixed on you And you snap back T-shirt your favorite rock band Checking your makeup in my Ray-Bans Breaking hearts like only you From my lock screen You're burning a hole in my pocket We got the beat, let's drop it Those stars need to be wished on Your skin needs to be kissed on Got just a few minutes left here on this Wednesday Y'all Show and we wrap up this hour with some headlines and more coming in from across the South and across the world here for this next headline. The World Health Organization has warned that a quote, two-track pandemic is now going on. Rich countries with high rates of vaccinated people are starting to talk about ending restrictions while many nations still face dangerous situations. Deaths rising in portions of the Asia-Pacific Rim, also Africa. The World Health Organization's region in Africa, led by South Africa, saw a 25% increase in new cases this week alone. Of the 1.77 billion doses of COVID vaccine administered globally, 28% have been in the world's richest nations, while just 0.3% of vaccines have been given in low-income countries. So we have what, again, the World Health Organization calls a two-track pandemic. The rich have the vaccine. The poor do not have the vaccine. That's kind of how it often works in business and life, honestly, as we well know. Unfortunately, that's not fair, but that's how things usually happen. And so I'm not sure how valid the World Health Organization is with their two-track pandemic prognosis. We just report the news here on today's Y'all Show. We also report that in South Carolina, a woman has copied the Bible by hand. In Beaufort, South Carolina, Caroline Campbell announced she was going to copy the entire Bible by hand using just a pen and note paper. And some thought she would lose interest and would not be able to finish it. But she really stuck with her goal, going through all 66 books of the Bible from the creation of the world to the second coming of Jesus. And she did it. And she, on June 6th, which would have been Sunday, penned the final sentence of the Bible, Revelation twenty two twenty one. And she did this at a ceremony at Community Bible Church in Port Royal, right beside Beaufort, South Carolina. And she started this journey in 2012 when she wrote down, In the Beginning. That's from Genesis. You might not know that. And uh, it took her nearly 10 years. And the 28-year-old from Beaufort ended up filling 43 plastic binders with over 10,000 pages of notepaper with her, what they call, crisp penmanship. Now, something I didn't tell you is she has a part-time job. So she's not just sitting there writing Bible, not just verses, the entire Bible each and every day. She works at Zaxby's in the Beaufort area. She plays tennis, and Jennifer Campbell, her mom, said 
that this is just incredible what she's been able to do because the young 28-year-old who wrote the entire Bible down, Caroline Campbell, suffers from Down syndrome. And she was able to get through the entire Bible. I haven't seen her penmanship. I assume it's very pretty what she does there. But way to go there. Caroline Campbell getting through the entire Bible. And her father says, we'll be curious to see what she does next. She's only 28 years old. She's got plenty of time. Heck, she might do the Bible again. How about that? What a great feel-good story coming from Beaufort, South Carolina. How about a good story coming from Charleston, Mississippi? Morgan Freeman, who lives in the Charleston, Mississippi area there, Tallahatchie County, he and Linda Kena have donated a million dollars to the University of Mississippi, about 45 minutes to the east of Morgan Freeman's Charleston, Mississippi estate. And he and Kena, who is a legal studies professor, have donated a million dollars to establish the Center for Evidence-Based Policing and Reform at the University of Mississippi. And the center will need to be approved by the state's institutions of higher learning. But Freeman said, look at the past year in our country. That sums it up. It's time we are equipping police officers with training and ensuring law enforcement is not defined only as a gun and a stick. Policing should be about that phrase to serve found on most law enforcement vehicles. And Morgan Freeman, yeah, the actor, Morgan Freeman, a.k.a. God, he and this person who is a legal studies professor, and she is, I think, on the faculty at the University of Mississippi, Linda Kena. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw out a rumor. I think Linda Kena and Morgan Freeman have something going on only based on the fact that when I searched her name, she sure has been around him a lot, showing up at a lot of black tie events, a lot of what looks like award shows. Not in North Mississippi, by the way. So Dr. Kena and God, a.k.a. Morgan Freeman, are certainly together, if nothing else, they're together in donating a million-dollar gift to the University of Mississippi to help establish what, again, is being called the Center for Evidence-Based Policing and Reform at UM Oxford. Technically, the University of Mississippi in University, Mississippi, is where that is located. And that is what's going on across the South here on this Wednesday from Morgan Freeman to writing about the Bible. That's a pretty good way to wrap it all up. We've got one teeny tiny segment left of the Y'all Show. We'll get to that right here after this break. Stay with us.
All right, y'all show wrapped up here for Wednesday. Thank you so much for being on with us. We will be right back here on the Thursday y'all show with news from Music Row in Nashville and the latest in sports news and what's going on with the NBA playoffs will be discussed on the Thursday y'all show. We just got so much going on here and we can't thank you enough for being part of our show. Y'all.com is the website. John Rawl signing off, y'all.